Welcome to the Servants Feast Christian Ministry Podcast with Reverend Elizabeth Moreau. Elizabeth wrote the From Called to Sent Discipleship series that includes six books and two retreats for the intellectual and spiritual development of Christians in the local church. In Elizabeth's From Called to Sent series, she often tells us there is more. Christianity is so much more than just attending church and Sunday school. The riches of our faith are beyond what we can hope or imagine. Jesus tells us that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Elizabeth passionately teaches the treasures of Christian life to the end that we grow and mature and experience an abundant life in Christ. Her reflections on topics and issues of the day always point to Jesus with the purpose of advancing his kingdom. She desires for us all to understand the deep and rich heritage we inherit from the historic and universal church. In Romans, Paul tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. With this thought, let us continue our journey of transformation and renewal as Elizabeth shares her teaching through this podcast. Well, welcome. Um, This is Elizabeth, and I want to thank you for listening in to the podcast. This is the second of two podcasts on the topic of science and religion. And I suppose if I were a scientist, then I could probably do 50 podcasts on that. But I'm not. So we're going to try to do this uh, in two. I did the last half, the first half in the last podcast, and that one was entitled, In the Beginning, God Created, which I think is very important for us to remember. In the beginning, God created. Science and religion is a very large topic, and so I want we have a lot that I want to cover today. So let us start with a word of prayer. Hear my prayer, Heavenly Father. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. We ask that you open our hearts and our minds to the knowledge and love of you in Jesus Christ. Grant that we may receive your Holy Spirit for the healing of our souls. Illumine our thoughts and enliven our hearts. Teach us in this time so that we may know you in your Son, Jesus Christ, and live. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, I want to start with a couple of points, but first I want to give you a warning. I was just drinking a soda, and I'm terrified. I'm going to burp here in a second. I'll be like, oops, I, that just popped right out. But anyway, um, I guess you should not drink a soda before you try to record. I want to start with a couple of uh, uh, points. Today... Most of the Western world sort of uniformly believes that science knows more than God, and that is true among Christians as well. We hear it all the time in the in the church. I, I, one day I preached a sermon, and I was called anti-science, and I don't even remember what I was talking about, some reference that I made in the sermon, but it, I was told that I was unintelligent after it was over. Christians hold a whole host of beliefs that come out of the world that may or may not be accurate. We are told all the time, and this is not just Christians, we are told everywhere we go that science is more real and it has better answers, and that's been going on for decades. I think I was, you know, in grade school half a century ago, 50 years ago probably, uh, when I first saw... um, when I first saw evolution and realized that we had come from apes. That was such a surprise to me at about 10 years of age. Anyway, the second point that I want to make is that we have allowed science, okay, uh, not really science, scientific atheism. We have allowed scientific atheism to determine what we can and cannot say. 
Now, we've allowed atheism to be taught um, in our schools, and we've allowed it to rule our society because they have the loudest voice and because it claims impartiality. And I want to make clear to you that there is nothing impartial about scientific atheism. Science and atheism, just for the record, are not the same thing. Science is the study of how things um, work, how things uh, function together, how, how things are designed or whatever. And atheism is the rejection of God. The difficulty that we have with science today is that scientists have decided how is also the same thing as why, and they've become philosophers, right? And once they figure something out, they then understand it entirely and this is how we come about scientific atheism, that they have looked at it and said, okay, I understand how babies are born, therefore it's no longer miraculous. But if you understand how babies are born or created and grow them, you got you to gotta say, that's absolutely astonishing with the number of things that could have gone wrong. It's really amazing, truly. You know, um, it's not, there, there's, I mean, once, a, once science becomes, um, what do I say? Once science becomes a philosophy and it ceases to be a research method, right, it ceases to be impartial. And it is arrogant to assume that human beings have all knowledge. I think in my mind, when I think about scientific atheism or when I think about scientists who make claims about they have all this knowledge, I think it's unbelievably arrogant. It's also absurd. I mean, Psalm 14 tells us that the fool says in his heart there is no God. Now, science itself as a field is valid. I'm for that overall. I think it's wonderful right up until you separate it from God because I believe God created it all. When we ignore the creator of the creation, then we believe we can manipulate creation. We can manipulate human beings any way we want. You know, Paul wrote in his letter to Rome, he said, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the truth of God, truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and they served the creature rather than the creator. And I think that pretty much describes American life today, right there. If you wanted to, if you wanted to sum up American life, claiming to, to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the create the creature rather than the creator. All right. So when we talk about these things, um, we need to we we need to talk about them because we need to open our own minds and we need to pursue the truth and we need to not live a lie. And all of science is not a lie. The lie is that science negates the existence of God. That's the big lie. If I were going to pick one, if you know, okay. This is a this is a conversation that we need to have not only in society but especially within the church, right? Um, the church needs to understand that the science that, that the society around us is pushing to um, to eradicate faith and belief in every public sphere in every in every environment, right? If we know that refusing to believe in God, that the refusal to believe that God exists, for example, is foolishness, then why do we trust fools? Why would we do that? I mean, you know, like why would you believe what a fool says? I'm not suggesting that every sincere scientist out there is determined to deny God, but I am saying that conclusions, that there are conclusions, however well intended, that will be ultimately insufficient if there is no creator in the whole calculus. If you're not trying to understand what was created by the creator, then you're running up against limits in science. And I don't care how loudly the atheists howl at that particular comment. The reason they're howling is because they want there to be no God. They want to say there is no creator. And, you know, and I was th I'm thinking, well, that's not going to be helpful because if he created, we need to know what he had in mind with creation. 
When you separate the knowledge of creation from the creator, you, you can come up with moderately useful science and moderately useful information, but you can also come up with extremely dangerous information, extremely dangerous conclusions. You know, these are, these are experts and academics, right, who are foolishly leading the Western civilization, all of Western civilization, into decline. They're, we're declining, and we're doing so because we have sm- all these educated, highly educated experts and academics who don't believe there's a creator. And therefore, even the origins of science are collapsing. You know? One of the worst lies we live with today is the, the utter barrenness of atheistic life and belief. You know, it's a desert for the human soul. There's just, it, it just emaciates the human soul. It's just, it wipes it away like a desert. Human beings possess depths and heights of personhood that we cannot even begin to understand as people of faith. You know, but science certainly cannot understand it because they don't know it's there. We have a whole generation of, of young people who don't know that, they're, that, that there are heights and depths of their personhood. They don't know that there's a We can't begin to explore um, what we don't know is there. We can't begin to account for or include it in our calculations what, what we don't know or we won't accept exists. You know, we've abandoned, abandoned the knowledge of the soul, of the human being made in the image of God. And we've accepted that being for a lesser creature. And, we, and as a result, we have produced the most depressed, anxiety-written, lonely generation in centuries. How tragic is that? We need to awaken to the truth. You know, we need, you know, to, we need to awaken to the destruction of the minds of our young, and we need to be unwavering in the truth ourselves. You know, we want to, um, we want to, we want to hold fast to Jesus Christ because he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only right life to live, the only good way to live, the only way to be fully alive is to be alive in Jesus Christ. And we do not believe in Jesus Christ to avoid meaninglessness. No, we, we hold fast to Jesus Christ because it is true, because he is the truth. Whatever happens next, you are safe with Jesus Christ. And there are things that could happen next. I don't have any idea. You know, with nations at war and nuclear powers and, and you know, weird policies and politicians and things like that. You know, do y'all realize that recently there have been some rumblings, and I'm not saying that this is about to be a mainstream idea in the public square, but there have been rumblings that, that um, uh, around the edges that, that children need to be removed from Christian families and Christian parents because they're being deluded by belief in God, that we're leading them astray by teaching about God, as opposed to leading them astray that they don't know what gender they are, that their life has no meaning, and that they have no purpose and are disposable. We're deluding them by telling them that God exists. Each Christian should be able to teach his or her own children or grandchildren, nieces and nephews, that science has limits. That means you need to know and understand enough about science to know that it has limits. You know, I mentioned in the last podcast that 35 to 40 percent of the people, young people coming out of college, have decided that they do not believe in God. And the reason is because of science. They've given up their faith. They have no faith because science exists and that's answered all the questions. Now, I'm not negating science because I think that science is good, but I am simply saying that science knows nothing that would negate God, which means that there are there are professors and teachers and they're saying, well, this means there's no God without any basis. They don't have any basis. They may think they have basis, 
But the fact that so many scientists and philosophers refuse to consider a creator says more about scientists and philosophers than it says about the creator. Just because you understand how something works doesn't mean you know why. Have you ever been so set on an idea in your lifetime? I think this is not as uncommon as we wish it would be. Have you ever been so set on an idea that you really cannot see what is obvious right in front of you? I want to give you an example from my life because it was a very serious situation. Um, my my son was kind of sickly, and um, and he had and he had diabetes. And my aunt kept calling me saying, "I'm worried about him. He has diabetes. You need to take him to the doctor." And so I made an appointment for him to go to the doctor and stuff. And all that. I did all the things I was supposed to do, you know, whatever. But I was going to prove to her that he did not have diabetes. I, that I did not believe that he could not have diabetes, and I didn't. I, I could not see it. I thought she was just she was just being overly concerned. And then a few days before we went to the doctor's appointment, I saw him in a pair of swim and swim trunks or whatever and he was literally dying his ribs were protruding his bones were protruding his arms were you know like skinny whatever and um my aunt was right but i didn't want to see it and so it didn't matter how sick he got i did not want to see it i did not want him to have diabetes you know and diabetes is normally diagnosed in the hospital when a child collapses but you know and I was fortunate that she was bothering me, and I took him to the doctor. We have the ability to deny the obvious because we don't like it. I did not want my son to be sick, and therefore I could not see it right in front of my face. You know, and it really, I got to say, American society today is blind to reality, and I totally get that. But just because you don't want to believe it doesn't change the facts. Whether Irrespective of what you want to believe, the facts don't change. And science is limited by the scientists. What we can learn from science is limited by the scientists. They're mortals like all the rest of us, and they are full of biases and prejudices and egos. And if they don't want something to be true, then they can refuse to see it, just like I refuse to see that my son was sick, just like American society refuses to see that they're facts. I mean, you know, we don't want to see something, and so we, we don't want something to be true, so we just refuse to see it right in front of us, the facts in front of us. Now then, the most significant challenge... Uh, to of scientists to Christian faith is that of evolution. The belief is that if everything evolved, then then it's all natural processes, and we came into being through all natural forces, and therefore there is no God. Well, I got to tell you that logic doesn't even hold all by itself. God could have created through using evolution. There's no reason to assume that just because evolution is true that um, God you know wasn't involved in that. That God did not that there. there to say that there, I believe in evolution is not to say there is no God, right? I will tell you that I don't believe in evolution. I don't think I don't think there's sufficient scientific evidence for it, and I don't care how many people talk about it, saying, "Oh well, evolution, 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 evolution." I don't know. Evidence is pretty sketchy, y'all. Evolutionary scientists often believe that they've proven that God does not exist. But I repeat my case, right? God, you know, just because evolution occurred doesn't mean that God wasn't involved. Now that makes for, in our schools, that makes um, evolution the greatest challenge to our faith, at least the way it's presently perceived. So when your kid comes home from college and he's suddenly smarter than you are um, and no longer believes in God, you need to know that's a result of a very poor education uh, that's intentionally turning your child away from God. There is no reason. I mean, when you make that lump, jump from, oh, here's here's how it all occurred, even if you believe in evolution, right? Um, if, you, if you make that jump, here's how it all occurred, to, from there to, oh, there is no God, you have now moved into philosophy, and you have no support for that whatsoever. You have no basis for it. 
And, but that's what our kids are coming home and learning from schools. We're paying a lot of money, send people off to, to college and let them come home, be taught by fools, and then they come home and they're fools themselves. It is very important okay, to understand that we have reached the point where the conflict is not between science and religion. To the contrary, we've reached the point where we have blind faith versus rational and reasonable faith. And scientific atheism holds blind faith in the theory of evolution with very little evidence, actually, while Christians hold faith in God who created everything with a great deal of evidence. Not a common thing we hear, not a common thought in in society, but a true one nonetheless. Scientific atheism holds blind faith in the theory of evolution with very little evidence, evidence, decreasing evidence, while Christians hold faith in the God who created all with a great deal of evidence. Shocking but true. I want you to consider the following. There is no evidence for macroevolution anywhere in the fossil record, anywhere in any species. There are only indications of micro-adaptations. We can we speculate about these leaps, these micro leap, these macro leaps in, in evolution, but thus far nobody's ever seen one, nobody's ever found one. To the contrary, okay, you know the fossil record does not even have a single example of a fish becoming a bird or an ape becoming a man. We speculate on this. We say, well, we have these, this DNA in common, blah blah blah, you know, or whatever, and um, you have you have DNA in common with a banana. There you go. So anyway. Just so we make these leaps of faith, right? Another fact that I think is important for us to understand is that there is not a single organism on Earth, not one for which we can trace the evolutionary development. Not one. And think about the billions, trillions of different organisms that exist on the face of the planet. Not one can we trace the evolutionary development. We can not even the simplest organisms. There's no record of evolving stages where something becomes more. And I want to ask you an obvious question here because I think I think this was just like to me it jumped off the page, right? When when you leave orga- organic matter sitting around alone, what happens to it? What happens to organic matter? Does it become greater? Does it improve? Nope, it does not. Organic matter rots, right? Organic matter rots. If you just leave it sitting there, it rots. It doesn't become something better and 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 bigger and, and doesn't improve and make itself into something. Instead, it rots. I have a compost heap. I can tell you about it. Okay. And that leads me back to Michael Behe, whom I introduced last in the last podcast. Uh, the first book I, book I had ever read that questioned evolution was written by Michael Behe, and it was in the nineties. He wrote Darwin's Black Box. That was a challenge to evolution based on what he called irreducible, irreducible complexity. Complexity. If you shake up a the three parts of a mouse trap, you know, over and over again, how long will it be before you finally form a mouse trap? You know, um, if if you just pull the if you shake it up, three parts. How many times do you have to shake it before it it, it just spontaneously turns into a mouse trap? Kind of an interesting question, is it not? All right, that's Darwin's black box. You go into black box, you shake it all up, and out pops life. That's kind of he's he, it's an argument from irreducible complexity of life. Okay, Behe is a professor of biological science at Lehigh University. He has a PhD from the University of Pennsylvania in biochemistry. He is not a flake. I'm kind of a flake because I I haven't studied science in depth, but I think these guys are fascinating. 
That was in 1996. He was, you know, it was technologically, as technology increases or whatever, um, it, it has only strengthened by his position. You know, his research has gotten stronger. What got my attention is that none of the scientists at that time um, responded to anything that he said. In 2007, Behe wrote The Edge of Evolution, The Search for the Limits of, of, Dar- of Darwinism. He continued to do research on um, irreducible complexity. And um, I recently <laughs> read his 2019 book, Darwin Devolves, The New Science for DNA That Changes Evolution. And I have to tell you, that's where he got the deal about, have you ever seen any organic matter that just turned into something spontaneously? No, it rots. That's what it does is it rots. Why would you think the DNA would turn into something positive when obviously organic matter turns into something negative? It goes, <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, there, there you go. So anyway, um, in 2020, he wrote another book, mousetrap for darwin and in it he answers his critics so apparently they've come out of the woodwork since um he wrote the first book in 1996 but um anyway uh, i haven't read that book and i don't don't know what's in it but i'm not pretending that i am uh that i understand biochemistry well enough to adjudicate between behe and his detractors in fact i'm not pretending that i understand biochemistry at all but i do know what happens to organic matter i do understand that rots right But my point is that science does not attain the certainty about evolution that it claims in spite of all the claims to the contrary. You can yell as loudly as you want, we are certain this happened, and we go, "Mm, no, you're not. They do not have certainty in, in evolution at all. And that's crucially important for Christians to understand because we are sending our children and our grandchildren into atheism factories. And it's just unbelievably tragic. We are taught that they can believe in God. They can believe, you know, you can believe in Jesus Christ. Okay, yeah, you can believe in God or whatever, but you're weak. That's a crutch. It's not really real. You're deluded. And that attitude dominates nearly every university in the United States today, nearly every university in the West. And it is not based on evidence. It is not based on evidence. Isn't that shocking? But Behe's not alone. Uh, And biochemistry is certainly not the only field to challenge the theory of evolution. Along with uh, Behe is Stephen Meyer, who is my current favorite read in intelligent design right now. Um, He is an amazing scientist. He graduated from Cambridge with a Ph.D. in philosophy of science, which means that he is comparing uh, the different uh, explanations of what science is and where it came from. What are the foundations for science? What are the basis for science? And, And I think that's what is at stake is the philosophy of science. That's the whole point. Scientists believe that they are philosophers when they say there is no God based on what they've found. And um, that's when they become philosophers. That's the why of things. Anyway, um, he wrote Signature in a Cell in 2009, and that one was a book on the origins of life. And his point was that there was just no way that a, a cell could be as exquisitely um, designed. There was no way for it to... Um, to come together, DNA, a strand of DNA, or a cell, or whatever, to come together with, you know, one piece at a time in stages or whatever. They all had to come together simultaneously. Now, what he did, he did not deny evolution in that at that time. He made an excellent case for intelligent design. It was actually, he said, his point was that evolution did not rule out intelligent design at all. That that just because things evolved did not mean that God was not involved in the process. And he won um, the book of the year for the Lon- for, by the London Times on that book um, alone, The Signature in a Cell. It's a fascinating book. It's been a long time since I've read it. Anyway, in 2013, I had Darwin's Doubt, and he wrote that. And Darwin's Doubt dealt with the Cambrian explosion. And Darwin believed that 
in due time that the fossil record would show all these in-between evolutionary stages, the evolution of animals or animal life or whatever. The Cambrian explosion, which which Darwin was familiar with, occurred um, about 530 to 540 million years ago. And it's like there was no plant, there were no animal life, there were no animal life, there's no animal life, there's no animal life, there's no animal life, boom, there's animal life everywhere. They just like spontaneously, and there's animal life everywhere, right? There's life on the planet just across everywhere, and life just explodes. That was the Cambrian explosion. That's why they call it an explosion, because boom, out of the middle of nowhere, here's all this life. And most recently, and I think this is a book worth getting and reading, Meyer wrote Return of the God Hypothesis, right? And what he does is he deals with the combined evidence that um, he first appealed to in his work on cells, the, uh, the incredible complexity of DNA, Right, And then his second area of evidence was the Cambrian explosion. And they're not good answers in evolutionary theory. There are answers, but they're not good answers for the Cambrian explosion. And the third area, though, is the evidence from the origins of the universe. Okay, That's the third area. Said, like, you can't get around this if you are a evolutionary you know, biologist or theorist, if you're an evolutionary scientist or whatever. You cannot get past this, the origins of the universe. And, they, and it's, we call it the Big Bang, and everybody, you know, we all know about that. But, you know, it's, it's, the mo- it's called the fine-tuned argument because the universe is remarkably fine-tuned. Um, what is inexplicable is how an explosion of that magnitude could produce a perfectly ordered, exquisitely fine-tuned universe that sustains life on this planet. On this planet alone. That's really amazing. You know... I like how we call it the Big Bang. You know, ah, this is the Big Bang. You know, well, the Big Bang is just a description without an explanation. That it doesn't explain anything. It just says there was a Big Bang, and that's how we all came to be here. Well, what does that mean? I think the Big Bang is a great argument that God created. Big, you know, calling it the Big Bang doesn't make it less. In the beginning, God created. In fact, it probably makes it more. You know, Behe and Meyer are not alone. They're not by any stretch of imagination. There are a lot of different scientists who believe in intelligent design, and they are offering some devastating critiques of evolution. But there are also some evolutionary scientists who do believe in God and hold very strongly to faith in God. And you know, if you if 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 you believe that God directed evolution, though, that kind of defeats the purpose of natural selection, does it not? Or survival of the fittest, or naturalistic causes. Right? I mean, the whole point behind all of those is that the search for a natural explanation for existence was the search to prove that human beings are random chance and that there's no divine being beyond. I'm not saying there aren't evolutionary scientists who believe in God. Of course there are, right? But that's not the point of evolution. The whole theory was to do away with the need for God, right? Now, and I don't think Darwin intended this to be the case. I mean, I think he, reali- I think he recognized that, you know, that that evolution would do away with God. And I don't think he was a man of much faith. And he certainly was not the first one to come up with the theory of evolution. But what ev- what he did was he, he was the first one to write it up in, in the origin of the species, right? But what evolution has done is destroy the value of everything. Truly, it has. Historically, we can look back and we say nations and tribes and kingdoms have always gone to war. True, right? They, we've, you know, Tribes and nations and kingdoms have always enslaved one another. True, that's true. Okay, people have always been greedy and lustful. They've always sought after power and position. That's true, right? There's nothing new in the way that human beings treat one another. But the theory of evolution separated the consequences of our actions from morality. 
And that's critically important to understand because it opened the door to evils such as Marxism and communism and totalitarian rule and authority. Do you realize there had never before been a communist-type nation um, absent any god or of any kind of like external moral authority or whatever until after the theory of evolution when we did away with God and started teaching people to do away with God? In the 20th century alone, at least 100 million people died under those regime, regimes, right? Um, under the Marxist and communist regimes, totalitarian rule. Whether it was Stalin in the gulags of the USSR, or whether it was Hitler with his concentration caps, or Mao Zedong. And Mao Zedong does not get enough credit for what he did. He killed an estimated 65 million people. He murdered them during, the, during his time as the leader of the Chinese Communist Party. You know, Christian, this is what I want you to understand. We're not talking about science alone. It's not just a matter of science. We're talking about the desire to be free from God and to allow evil to flourish around us. If we are nothing more than animals, then we will act like animals. Turns out that, you know, Stalin or Hitler or, or Mao Zedong was, you know, the leader of the pack and, and a bunch of animals. And they could just kill one another to stay in charge and be in charge to lead the pack. The education in the United States has finally reached the, the point of indoctrination. I am deeply convinced of that. And it starts at grade school, and our children are taught godlessness from the time that they are very young. And, and it does, the, the education does so with great arrogance. They are taught this with great arrogance by very educated people, right, who um, know more than, than prior peoples and more, know more than every generation before our own. I got to tell you, though, there's, it takes an awful lot of ignorance to be that arrogant, to believe that you are so superior that you that every generation and all the people who preceded you are 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 not as smart as you are. The people who are, who believe that in this generation are ignorant about communism just fifty years ago. They don't even remember what it, what it, what it really was, the damage it really did. And sadly, it also leaves people with pointless lives. But they, People living in the squalor of the self with no way out. You know, um, I mentioned it before, we're depressed. Our young people are depressed and anxious. They have technology that will connect them to the entire rest of the world. But they're lost and they're lonely. They're isolated from their neighbors. They're unable to build meaningful or lasting relationships with one another at any depth. You know, we, I think we need to ask ourselves Why? Why is it so important to hang on to the theory of evolution, especially when there is so much evidence for which evolution cannot account? You know, and I think the answer should be obvious to us as Christians. What could possibly be more desirable to human beings than to possess all knowledge and to be our own gods? Isn't that what Scripture tells us? And isn't that what we see over and over again? And evolution, if it does nothing else, it does guarantee we get to be our own god. You know, you're in charge of everything, you're in charge of yourself, and you're miserable. It's terrible the way that happens. Now then, I want to make one final point before I close this up. And it's, uh, you know, um, all of our discussion about creation, all of our discussion about the origins of life and the origins of the universe and stuff, um, all of that occurs after I mean, whatever we're studying occurs after creation has fallen. The early church fathers had a lot of you know, uh, different beliefs on creation. 
but there was very little discussion of time, which I found to be very interesting. They didn't, they're not, you know, we're kind of obsessed with the time frame it took for God to create, but they weren't particularly concerned with that, even though, even though they were concerned about the days, what, the, what it meant in terms of creation. But instead, when you read the early church fathers, they talk about the wonder and the awe of creation and the knowability of creation, okay? But they realized that there was no way to know exactly how God created because we only know a fallen world. Everything that we see and everything that we know, everything about which we are arguing, it all belongs to a fallen world. Everything. Certainly we can see the imprint of God's work in creation, but everything. You know, um, it, it, it's part of a, a, a fallen world, a world that is headed toward death. And we've not yet begun to comprehend all that there is. And I, and I want you to think about what that means for scientific atheists. You know, I was reading the early church fathers on uh, creation the other day, and I think it was Gregory Nyssa who said this, uh, but if it wasn't, he wasn't alone with that. He certainly was not alone in this idea. Uh, he, he speculated that before the fall, the entire, the whole earth was had a perfect climate. Okay, that there would have been no, you know, cold, no heat, no whatever. It's perfect climate for human human beings, and it was pure speculation. And he made that speculation based upon the character of God, the nature of God, that he would have wanted Earth to be perfect for human beings, and you know that's before the fall. Well, last year, under a mile of ice um, in Greenland, they discovered plant life that's at least a million years old. A mi- <laughs> plant life from a million years ago, and we have all these people worried about global warming. Okay, good lord, a million years ago. Greenland wasn't under ice, a mile of it. I'm not saying this proves some sort of pre-human paradise by any stretch of the imagination, but I am saying that there is a lot we do not know. I think we ought to admit that and just go on with it, right? Scientific atheism needs to prove that God doesn't exist for itself, because if it cannot prove that, then it is left with the problem of reality that stretches far beyond our capacity to measure. I mean, it's left with the problem of the resurrection. It's left with the problem of the ascension of Christ. You know, it's left with the problem of the empty tomb and the missing body. What, what, how can science deal with that? You know, atheist, scientific atheism has to believe this, but, because if they don't, human beings are going to turn out to be far more than advanced animals, and we're going to have, and we're going to, have to be, you know, acceptable in the way we live to our Creator. For our lives, we have to we have to account to, to him for our actions and for our personal integrity. We need to maintain a measure of humility. And it's not just, you know, the next, if we're not just the next or the last phase of monkeys, and we turn out that human beings are immortal creatures with individual dignity that belongs to the image of God, what are scientific atheists going to do? How are they going to measure dignity? And that is what I think Christians need to take back from science, this sense of dignity and wonder and humility. And they, we need to, we, we rightly, it, all these rightly belong to human beings. And we need to stand in the midst of creation with a sense of awe and a sense of uh, wonder at what God has done. And when we learn something new from scientists, that say we're, we're, that there's a black hole at the center of our galaxy, then we can accept that and be amazed at God's ingenuity in creation. Because, and then we can look at it, at all the glory and the splendor of our creation, and remember that it was he who formed you in the womb. That it was he who called you into being and numbered the hairs on your head. The one who flung the stars to the far ends of the universe. The galaxies, endless and countless galaxies. It was he who called you by name and claimed you as his own. That's important for us to remember, Christians. 
And this is what atheists want to deny. It's what they want to steal from the human race. And this is what atheism has lost for us. It is sad but true, but it's also tragic for the influence it wields over textbooks and academies today, over, over the education of our children and our grandchildren. No wonder they are depressed and anxious generation. You know, we do not, we, should, we cannot let them steal the rich abundance of life in Jesus Christ from you and from yours. We need to know and understand that God, the belief in God um, is, is, is totally plausible. In the end, they are wrong. God exists. You are called to life. He has called you to life, both now and forevermore, because that is who God is, and that is what God does. Let us close with prayer. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. I ask you, O God, to call your people to lift our eyes to you, that we may see your glory. Send your Spirit to walk with us, to guide our steps, and to remind us throughout each day of your infinite wisdom, as well as the safety we find in the shelter of your love. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, y'all, that's a lot for one day. Y'all be blessed now. You hear? You have just heard the latest podcast with Elizabeth Moreau. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever service you might use. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with others. Be sure to look us up on Facebook and like and share this podcast with your friends. Also, if you appreciate this ministry, please consider making a donation to Servants Feast Christian Ministry through our website. Join us next time as we continue to explore God's truth as it speaks to our world today with transforming love for all people.